Welcome once again to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I'm your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 86 for the week of September 28th, 2008. I'm back from a very busy week at Walt Disney World with a full recap of the week's events, including news and details about what's coming in 2009. That includes celebration vacations, changes and new additions to the wide world of sports complex, and a new experience in Fantasyland with Tinkerbell and her fairy friends. I'll talk to some executives from Disney to discuss just what's coming next. I'll also talk about my trip with a number of other friends and listeners to the show as we recorded our recap of the week live from Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge. We'll talk about everything from our experience at the newly reopened Nine Dragons Restaurant and World Showcase, dinner at the Wave at Disney's Contemporary Resort, the last nights of the Adventurers Club, and if we don't talk about food enough, I'm also going to play our live reviews from the Promenade as we review samples from each of the Wonderland kiosks at Epcot's International Food and Wine Festival. It's a first-hand, on-the-spot review of many of the culinary delights being offered at the festival from now through November 9th, 2008. We'll also talk about other events throughout the week that don't involve food, and the inaugural Expedition Everest Challenge 5K race that took place this past Saturday. Many of us faced the Yeti and lived to tell about it, so here's our recap of the race and party. I'll also have an exclusive interview with Steve Schussler. He's the creator of the Rainforest Cafe, the Yak and Yeti, and Downtown Disney's newest dining experience, the T-Rex Cafe. He joins me to talk about his incredible personal journey and the creation of some of Walt Disney World's most unique restaurants. Finally, I'll reveal the grand prize winner of the Adventureland Challenge Contest and crown the ultimate adventurer. Stay tuned at the end of the show for more information and announcements as well as your voicemails. But for now, just sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. This week, I'm coming to you live from the fire pit outside Disney's Animal Kingdom Lodge. And I thought, after spending the week here covering a number of different events, purely for the benefit of the show and not for my own personal edification, of course, I thought I'd do a little recap with eight or nine friends that happen to be sitting around the fire pit eating, as always. (laughs) 
Um, and I'm going to welcome to the show in no particular order Steve, my lovely wife, Deanna, Glenn, Val, Pat, Lori, Virginia, and Jerry. Everybody, welcome. So, like I said, not just I'm not going to do a, a little trip report, but just kind of highlight once again some of the things that I've done through the week. I actually got here very early. I got here on Monday. Um, I had an event Monday night and something on Tuesday. And I did get a little bit of time in the parks. And the one thing I wanted to mention about coming this week, and I got here at that, again, that was September 22nd, was that I found that the parks were, for the most part, pretty much empty. Um, the weather has been really good. And I've, I've walked on everything. And I'll avoid the easy walk on poo once again. But again... Rides like Pooh, rides like Splash Mountain had zero weight, and even things like Soren were 10 minutes, 15 minutes tops. You guys find the same thing? Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Ups and downs. Uh, I've had high, higher numbers than that and lower numbers than that. Where'd you find was like the most crowded? Oh, well, I was on Soren the other day. It took us about 35 minutes. Weekend? Uh, no, that was during the week. Yeah, I mean, most of the times walking around the parks, it hasn't been too, too bad. Um, but Wednesday, uh, actually Wednesday morning, I was invited to an event, when I, and actually this will kind of lead me into some of the news for this week, where Disney introduced some of the things that are going to be coming for 2009, including some changes over at Wide World of Sports, some changes that are coming to the parks, including the introduction of not just one, but five new characters um, in the form of meet and greets, and obviously the celebration vacation. So I'm going to go ahead and play a little bit of audio that I took on Wednesday, and then come back and then talk to the group again. I'm sitting here with Jim Alessandro. He's a senior vice president of Walt Disney World, Disney Cruise Line, and Disney Vacation Club Marketing. Jim, I want to welcome you to the WDW Radio Show. Thanks. Glad to be here. The timing is great because we're talking about what's going on in 2009 and the celebration vacations promotion. So, Jim, what are some of the things that guests can, who are coming here to celebrate, whether it's a birthday, anniversary, honeymoon, whatever, some of the differences they're going to see as soon as they walk in the door? Well, uh, first, every guest is going to be asked if they're celebrating something today, and they're going to be invited to announce to everybody what they're celebrating with a, uh, a button that says, I'm, you know, it's my birthday, or it's my anniversary, or I just, it's a, just had a major accomplishment. So they're going to, the guests are going to notice a higher level of cast-to-guest engagement, and hopefully even guest-to-guest engagement where guests who are celebrating the same thing uh, you know establish a rapport with each other from a decor standpoint we're gonna take the whole celebratory feel up a whole notch with um, with uh, uh, decor that is you know will create this party atmosphere we're also adding to our base entertainment um, uh, special street parties as well as um, uh, portions within our uh, existing parade that do stops to celebrate and to, to stop and recognize people who are celebrating things and actually inviting them to join in the join in the entertainment experience. And I think that interactive entertainment that people those that they don't necessarily know is going to be there when they get there really enhances and creates some of those memories that you were talking about earlier. A- absolutely. And, you know, we like to say that um, this, you know, at a Disney park, particularly um, now, you're going to be able to turn things that were, you know, formerly moments into memories and really have something that you're going to remember the rest of your life. And one of the new things, too, is that now, before their arrival, 
guests will be able to take care of a lot of the planning, a lot of the preparations online, not only just for their vacation, but other things that they can do, not just in the parks, but in their rooms as well? Absolutely. Um, we've always offered a lot of different special things, uh, both inside and out the, outside the parks, that guests could do to enhance their experience. The trouble is it was, it was hard to find them all, and it was also hard to book them all. So we are introducing new planning tools that, number one, will help... Um, uh, we'll ask guests a few questions to see kind of what they might be interested in and then serve up a list of um, options that, uh, that they can choose from and then help them um, book it and plan it. Excellent. So in not only introducing them to some of maybe the overlooked experiences that have always been available, Absolutely. are there also going to be new offerings as just part of the celebration itself? Yeah, there's going to be new offerings that are more, uh, more broadly offered. Um, you know, one of, one of one of our favorites is a fireworks cruise that you're going to actually be able to cruise in the lagoon um, during fi- during the fireworks time at the Magic Kingdom and watch it from that vantage point, and it's spectacular. And then, what about for the people maybe that don't realize this is going on, and and they come and they check in and they haven't done planning online? Will they still be able to take advantage of some of these things at the time of their arrival, or by going to guest relations? A- absolutely, they'll be able to. Uh, they'll be able to plan once they arrive. They'll be able to plan. You know, hopefully the day. I mean, well, definitely the day of their trip, or the day of their. You know, if they're going to the Magic Kingdom that day, they'll be able to plan that day. So, uh, absolutely, and it's going to be clearly be a lot easier than it has been in the past to do those. And when can guests start making plans for 2009 vacations? Right now. (laughs) (laughs) And in fact, if, uh, you know, uh, last week we announced that, um, you know, to kick off the celebration, we're going to, we're going to let everybody in on their birthday absolutely free. And so we opened up our uh, website to start taking registrations for the free on your birthday uh, last week. So it's it's in full gear, and we're, we're taking bookings for those as well as everything else. And, you know, although the birthdays alone are free, you can come down to celebrate any sort of event, and, and you guys will celebrate. Absolutely. And the reason we chose birthdays is because that's absolutely the one thing that everybody will celebrate next year or the one occasion that everybody will share next year. So we focused on birthdays, but absolutely, anything that everybody's sharing is going to be t- taken up a notch next year. Excellent. And I assume the website is DisneyParks.com? The website is DisneyParks.com or DisneyWorld.com or Disneyland.com. You'll get there either way. Excellent. Jim, thanks very much. I'm very much looking forward to the promotion next year. We appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lou. I'm now speaking with Ken Potrock. He's the Senior Vice President of Disney Sports Enterprises. Ken, I want to welcome you to the WDW Radio Show. Thanks, Lou. Great to be here. It's great to have you. And there's some very exciting things going on. Uh, You know, 2009, there's all kinds of new vacation experiences coming to Walt Disney World. And obviously, a lot of people are talking. The buzz is all about celebration vacations in 2009. But there's also an aspect of sports tourism and an enhanced experience is there. What's Disney doing over at Wide World of Sports in the upcoming future? Well, it's in a very exciting time for us. What we've, what we've identified is that there's fantastic trends around the concept of sports tourism, especially in the youth market. You know, at, at the end of the day, parents want to support their kids' athletic pursuits, whether it's for health and wellness or whether it's for building character, there isn't a parent that's willing to sacrifice, you know, their kid, you know, getting those kinds of lessons. So it's a very exciting opportunity. What we've tried to create at the Wide World of Sports Complex is is an environment where they really do feel like they are the best, that they're playing with the best, that they're playing on the best, and that their experience is, is like nothing else they could get anywhere else. You know, at the end of the day, if they win a match or if they win a, a game at Wide World of Sports, 
sports, they need to celebrate. And if you if you're in the big time, what do you do when you celebrate? You know, after a big sporting event, you go to Disney World. And that actually ties into another change with the rebranding of it, with the introduction of ESPN and that feeling that, like you said, they're able to sort of play on that big stage, the same place that the Atlanta Braves play and that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers come and, and everybody, you know, celebrity athletes come and play. What's that kind of experience that you're trying to create for those, those junior athletes, as it were? You know, again, I think it's I think it's about making people feel like they're 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 playing in the big time, that their game really matters. And so, part of what we're trying to do is create what we're going to call an immersive experience for the kids, where we're using the, the the ESPN brand and using the Disney brand. We have the ability to create an experience unlike anything else, where at the end of the day, they feel like they made it. And what a heady feeling that is for a 6-year-old or a 12-year-old or an 18-year-old kid to walk away feeling like they made the big time, they made it onto ESPN. That's pretty cool. And something else you're bringing in, too, again, for the non-athlete, but maybe to create another destination for guests, is the bowling facility. Um, Tell us a little about the bowling facility, and then tell me, is this something that you're going to position maybe as another experience for the resort guests maybe to do? in the evening with their family on a rainy day, whatever it was, just to go and just not play, obviously, competitively, but just play together as a family? Bowling is a great ad, you know, both for the the sports complex, but also for the entire resort. So it begins with, you know, tournaments, because that's going to drive the destination. Bringing in tournaments that will drive uh, competitive bowlers to Florida, to Central Florida, is a big part of the strategy. That's number one. Number two, however, we think it's going to be great for resort guests as well. And number three, we think, you know, it will also be a terrific experience for locals. Now, now, what I like about the bowling facility is it's really two facilities in one. There are 72 lanes that are uh, tournament lanes. And then there are 28 lanes that are what we call boutique lanes. So those are, you know, with fancy monitors and, and the disco ball. And, that's where I'll be know, playing. Great food and, you know, all of those kinds of things. I mean, that's going to be so much fun. So whether it's creating a tournament around the Disney Channel games or it's creating a tournament, you know, you know around the Professional Bowlers Association or amateurs or everything in between, I think it's a great, great facility that's going to be great for everybody in the area. Absolutely. And when can guests start looking forward to the rebranding for ESPN and the creation of the bowling center? In the, in the latter half of 2009. Great. Ken Podrock, thanks very much for taking the time with me today. My pleasure, Lou. Pleasure to be here. Have you ever wondered how nature gets its glow? Who gives it light and color as the seasons come and go? The secret is... It's all the work of fairies. And within a special place called Pixie Hollow, fairies of every talent practice their magical abilities and prepare for the change of seasons. But one day, a very special fairy would arrive with a magic like nothing they'd ever seen. You know her name. Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell? Tinkerbell! Now, discover the story of the world's most beloved fairy. How she came to be, found her place, and changed her world forever. Tinkerbell, an all-new movie. 
I'm speaking with Francois Leroux. He's the Vice President of Segment Products and Service Entertainment at, for Walt Disney World Entertainment. And he's provided us a, a sneak peek of a new experience that's coming to Walt Disney World this October. Can you tell us a little about what guests can experience? Well, the guests will experience the, the fairy world. You know, they're going to experience Pixie Hollow. This is the world where the fairy lives. This is where, where Tinkerbell lives. This is where all her friends live. So the guests will be able to experiment Pixie Hollow, meet with our fairy, and, and since they are in the fairy world, they'll be able to understand and talk back with the fairies. And this is unique because if you're not in their world, you won't understand them. So since you're there, you have an opportunity to understand when they talk to you. Sort of tie in with the upcoming release of the Tinkerbell DVD and Blu-ray, where we do get to hear Tinkerbell speak for the first time. Now guests can be able to experience it for the first time in the parks as well. Exactly. Yeah, that's the same thing. But as far as they are in Pixie Hollow, you'll be able to understand them. If they are in your world, you won't. Tell us a little bit about what guests are going to see when they, when they make this entrance. Where is it going to be? And what's this experience going to be like? So this experience uh, is uh, in the Magic Kingdom. It's in Fantasy World. More precisely, in Toontown, we have um, re, uh, rededicated a full area for Pixie Hollow. So we have recreated that world. Uh, so our guests will transition from a human world to a fairy's world. So they through, through a corridor to access Pixie Hollow, they're going to go through a forest where everything will get bigger and bigger around them bringing the feeling and the impression that you're getting smaller and smaller. So when you enter Pixie Hollow, you ask Malton the fairy is. So. so in addition to some meet and greet opportunities with Tinkerbell, and I understand there's four other fairies with her as well, what else are guests going to be able to do inside Pixie Hollow, if anything? Well, it is definitely a meet and greet experience. This is also a storytelling experience because the fact that our fairy is going to talk back to our guests, they're going to tell a story. So this is a storytelling uh, experience as well. On top of it, the decor is so fantastic and has so many special effects that will give you, you know, really this impression that you're in a surreal world, a fantasy world. So it's a combination of different experiences altogether. Definitely something immersive that kids, you know, who are fans of Peter Pan and obviously now with the new Tinkerbell movie coming out are really going to enjoy, I think. Yeah, we're looking forward to, to offer that to our guests, and I think this is going to be there for, for a long time. And when can guests look forward to experiencing this for the first time? By October 24th. Great. Francois, thank you very much. My pleasure. So, yeah, I think 2009 is going to bring um, a lot of exciting stuff. But, you know, we've talked for way too long without getting to food. And actually, Wednesday afternoon, I met up with Pat, Disney Dame, and, of course, first things first, we had to go get something to eat. And we lucked out because we walked over to Epcot. Unfortunately, food and wine wasn't open, but something else was. Yeah, we got lucky and found that the Nine Dragons restaurant in China had just reopened about 20 minutes before we arrived there. So we were able to sample the uh, new menu and see the new decor in the, the reopened China restaurant. Yeah, and as soon as you walk in, it's beautiful. I mean, the, the lobby areas... Well, actually, no. As soon as you walk in, we were somewhat <laughs> overwhelmed because there were about six or seven servers in there that said hello in Chinese, and we sort of recoiled in fear before we realized it. <laughs> right, we walked in from the bright sunshine into the, the dimness of the lobby and, and were greeted with this very enthusiastic group of servers. And, uh, yeah, we nearly <laughs> backed right out the door. But they were, they were fantastic. The servers were wonderful. They were all very excited to be back working again. And uh, I think that their enthusiasm came through the whole meal. Yeah, the servers were wonderful. The staff was excellent. Um, 
I'll, I'm going to cover this and in, in, um, do a great review later on because, like everything else, there's a whole story behind the restaurant. There's so much symbolism in the China Pavilion that carries through into the restaurant. Again, in that little lobby area, there's a beautiful sort of glass um, thing on the wall of the two dragons with the pearl in the middle, and they told us the whole story behind that. Right, the, the two dragons chasing the golden ball of wisdom, I believe it was. Surprisingly, um, the menu was, it had a lot of sort of traditional Chinese dishes, but it had a couple of things that you don't normally find in a Chinese restaurant. And I thought the food was, I thought the food was excellent. Yes, yeah, so I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I tried their Nine Dragons fried rice, which was uh, fried rice with uh, ham and chicken and shrimp and the kitchen sink and a touch of chili uh, thrown in it. And it was very tasty, very, very good. Yeah, I had the honey sesame chicken, and then we had that fried banana thing or something for dessert. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're full. No, we couldn't possibly have dessert. Oh, banana, fried banana cheesecake? Yeah, I got room for that. Uh, <laughs> couldn't possibly be a heavy, fat-calorie meal. It was That was very interesting, yes, but it was a very deep-fried cheesecake banana cream Again, all in the name of research. But the restaurant is beautiful inside. It's got a very contemporary decor. Um, I think it's going to be very, very popular. Um, even things like the menu, just teach, they, you know, the server came over and taught us how to write some words in, in Chinese that we obviously butchered immeasurably. I hopefully didn't insult anyone's mother. <laughs> <laughs> but there's a wall there of, of beautiful glass ornaments and art. And if you ask them, they'll tell you the story about each one of those different dragons and lions and what they mean. So um, I think we were very, very happy right off the bat with Nine Dragons. Uh, what happened after that, I really don't remember, except until the point we got to the contemporary to go eat over at the Wave. <laughs> <laughs> I think we had a we went on Soren. That, we did have a longer wait there that day. We had like a 50-minute wait for Soren that uh, um, afternoon. It's really not important. Let's really get to the wave because, again, I've never eaten there before. That was on the first floor of Contemporary. Again, we'll do a full review at a later time. But, um, again, the wave is very much all about antioxidant food and healthy food. Glenn, you've eaten at the wave before. Yes, I have. I ate at the wave uh, opening day of the wave, actually. All in the name of research. And now you can finally share that wisdom. with. What did you think of the wave and, and... the decor and the food. It was a great experience. It was not very crowded when I was in there. You have to be a little bit prepared, and you have to definitely read what's on the menu because you can be surprised. I actually ordered a chicken pot pie and found that inside the chicken pot pie, there was actually the chicken was still on the bone inside the chicken pot pie. So you have to be prepared for that. It was delicious, but it really was a surprise. A good well, I guess it was a good surprise. I guess you enjoyed the meal. Um, again, a lot of the things there was like sustainable fish. The food is very, it's very organic, and there's like antioxidant cocktails and things like that. Nothing too crazy, but I mean, a, a great flavors. And then the desserts, obviously, you get to choose you know, three little pint-sized oh, yeah. portions of dessert. Yeah, the dessert was definitely cool. Little, uh, you got to choose three taste size. To individual desserts and I think between the four of us who were there we managed to have one of everything and there was nothing bad in the bunch that's for sure they were really quite good yeah but the wave and the wave lounge there's sort of two little um, <coughs> lounge areas with comfortable couches and a, and a bar really nice place to just kind of sit and relax in an intimate environment and have some drinks but when we when Pat was finally able to roll up out of bed on Thursday morning we head over to the studios we met up with Lori 
we rode Toy Story Mania. Again, the lines for that weren't all that bad either. How long do you think maybe we waited in the standby line now that the, the single rider line is gone? I was probably about an hour, maybe a little bit under that. Yeah. But, I mean, the throughput seemed to be a lot better. I mean, the line was moving the whole time that we were there. Well, I got there at opening while Lou was still rolling in bed. <clears throat> I, wait, I wasn't rolling in bed. I was rolling out of bed. Let's be clear and keep it family-friendly, of course. Well, I think it was, hello, no, I'm not up yet, and click as he hung up on me as he rolled back over in bed to go back to sleep. Anyway, at opening, though, the uh, standby wait for Toy Story Mania was 40 minutes and the biggest problem, though, was the fast pass area. The fast pass lines were at least 20, 25 minutes just to get fast pass tickets. And the area is incredibly congested. Uh, you walk up there and you're immediately hit by the wall of lines of people trying to get to the fast passes. And you have to kind of work your way through them if you want to go beyond them to get onto the standby line. And the standby line actually moved very quickly at that point because there were no fast pass returning that early so it, it went much faster in first thing in the morning just getting right on standby than it did a few hours later when we joined up with everybody and went to ride it again and the standby line was being fed also by the fast pass line and it doubled the wait time yeah the, the whole pixar place area they need to do some sort of line control outside there we really did do more than eat but that night <laughs> in preparation for what was going to be one of the final nights of the Adventures Club, we went over to Raglan Road. My wife came in, and a number of us ate at Raglan Road. Um, again, I hadn't eaten there in a long time, but you can't go wrong with a shepherd's pie. What did, what did you have? I had Heaven on Earth, which was baby back ribs and sweet sauce. It was really good. Yeah, I, I think Raglan Road is one of those um, great restaurants. It, it's so much more than just like a pub to go to at night. I, I think it's a great place to go and eat um, and spend some time relaxing. And if you do want to go there... At night and sit. They've got great entertainment with the Irish dancers and the Irish music. They've got the big, great old bar uh, off to the left-hand side. But again, we were there because Thursday marked, you know, sort of the the beginning of the countdown for the Adventures Club as they closed and did really the very final hoopla, hoopla. last night. Um, and the Adventures Club was very early on. I mean, a line it opened up at six earlier than it normally does, and to say that it was crowded is is somewhat of an understatement. Now I know what sardines feel like. <laughs> yeah. But we actually did. We did something nice. We sort of found our own little corner. It was, it was as if we sort of rented out the treasure room to ourselves because there was maybe 20 of us in there and just sort of packed ourselves. Fortunately, we had food and water because there was no way we were getting across yeah. the salon to try and get to, you know, to the bar or, God forbid, even the restroom. Yeah, it was, it was nice having our own little group in there hanging out and just chilling. No way I was going back through that crowd until it went into the library. Then that's when you ran for the bathroom because there was nobody there. An interesting thing, too, was after a certain point, it normally, when you were in the library, they would let you back out by the bathrooms back into the salon. They were shuttling people back outside and making them get back online if they wanted to come in just to try and get more people through. But, I mean, by 9, 10 o'clock, I mean, you could not even move in there. But, all right, so the, the closing of Adventures Club, obviously a really big deal. People have come out in droves. I understand last night people were lined up outside the door at 2 o'clock, and it wasn't opening till 6. Now, we went there, obviously, because we knew it was closing, but was the Adventures Club something that you guys went to on a consistent basis, or was it just we went because we knew it was closing? I hadn't been there in 17 years, so this was the first time really, that I was there long enough to see any of the shows or anything going on. It's been 12 years since I've been there. Had to go before it closed. 
Now, if it wasn't closing, would it be a place that you'd go back to more than once? I always want to go back, and it just never fits into the the schedule to go back. I was counting on for Mouse Fest, but not now. Now, did you guys ever, have you been to the Adventures Club before? No, I I haven't been there. I'm hoping to go when it re... I'm a firm believer it's going to resurrect some way, so I'm I'm going there for it. Yeah, and, I, and I'm with you guys. I don't think the Adventures Club is as dead as people say. Rumors of my death are, are greatly exaggerated because I think it's going to come back in some form or fashion. I think over the years, I've been disappointed at where Pleasure Island has come since it first opened. I was, you know, an original fireworks factory kind of guy, and I liked what Pleasure Island was. I missed the, the New Year's every night, and I, I was kind of sad that they kind of got away from that. And then as time went on, I found myself really only going to places like the Adventures Club just to hang out with friends in one of the rooms, or the Comedy Warehouse just to catch one of the shows. Every now and then venturing to, into A-Tracks, much as we did later on that night. Which play, what, What's so funny? <laughs> yeah, we had a... That was my place to hang out. I yeah. love A-Tracks. A-Tracks was a lot of fun. Again, just hanging out with friends. We had a good time, uneventful. Nothing happened there whatsoever. Um, so we're going to move over to Friday. When we headed over to the Magic Kingdom, um, actually, that's where I got to meet Virginia for the first time. We also hooked up with a couple of other events that were going on that day, the first of which was the WDW Celebrations events started off really, kicked off their weekend there. One of the things we did when we hooked up with the group um, was we had met in front of the Carousel of Progress and the guys from WDW Celebrations and their team and everybody that's sort of a part of that were kind enough to do a, a virtual check presentation to the Dream Team Project in the amount of $500, and needless to say, yeah, um, they took a portion of of things that they had sold, as well as contributions from some people who were a part of the Celebrations event, and uh, and made that contribution to the Dream Team Project, so um, I know everybody who's a part of it is really grateful to them for that, and we also met up with Deb Wills and some people from All Ears. Uh, they had just done a post about the Haunted Mansion, so we had a big sort of group ride on the Haunted Mansion, got to really pick out some of the cool things, specifically in the attic scene that they had pointed out. Um, I, I think the general consensus probably is that the update to the Haunted Mansion is, is pretty spectacular. Awesome. Yeah. Yes. yes. Absolutely. But yeah, we did, we did a couple of group rides that day, and then, of course, got to the, the important part of the evening, and really where the research took a turn for the more serious, um, because it was the official opening of Epcot's International Food and Wine Festival, and, and much for the sake of the benefit of the site and the show, uh, Steve, Val, Pat, and along the way we picked up and dropped off a number of people. We did our review. Oh, yeah, you were there, too. My wife was there. Uh, we did our review around, around the world, and we did something interesting. We actually stopped along the way and did our, our sort of reviews live. So I'm going to go ahead and, and play uh, the audio from there. No trip to Walt Disney World would be com- no research trip to Walt Disney World would be complete during Food and Wine Festival without a review of the Food and Wine Festival, and no review could be as good as doing a review live at the Food and Wine Festival. So I am joined by Pat Disney Dame Whitson, Val, and her husband Steve, and for the first and possibly last time ever on the show, my lovely and talented and oh so supportive of my research trip wife's Deanna. Everybody say hi. Hello. So we are grazing or wandering our way around the promenade. We started off at the International Gateway 
not going to any restaurants, but sampling all of the food from the different kiosks. So I thought we would do, we'd stop here to sort of digest for a second and talk about some of the things that we eat. And we started over in Istanbul, Turkey, with what we thought was like, we rated things on a scale of one to five. And we thought right out of the box, it was, everything was a five. We start off with the mezi, mezi? I don't know. It was a little pita thing with some green... Eggplant. Eggplant. It was like a pureed eggplant and yogurt. Yes. That's what we had. What do you think? Um, I thought it was very good. The texture was excellent. I do like eggplant, so personally it was a favorite of mine. Until you got to the next kiosk. Until I got to the, the, yes, the pierogies then. All right, wait. On a scale of one to five, in retrospect, compared to everything else you've eaten, the little Istanbul mezzi... Ah, that was a three. See, went from a five to a three like that. Now, Steve had the Monty yogurt sauce ravioli thing. How was that? I thought it was excellent. It had beef in it. It was creamy, tasty. I couldn't you have do, enough. You do sound like Giotto De Laurentiis when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> and on a scale from one to five, I know what you gave it when you first had it. What do you give it now? I would call it a solid four. Solid four. You haven't really gone below four. All right, after that, we hit Canada. Let's not fool around. We didn't even bother with anything other than the cheddar cheese soup. Safe to say, fives all around? Five. Five. around. Everybody had it, but it was like gone in two bites. That's the only problem with it. You, the, the portions are very small. Again, they're, they're sampling portions. The dishes are maybe, what, four or five inches across, and but the cheddar cheese soup, you maybe get three sort of spoonfuls out of it for your $3. Next was Athens, Greece. We both had spanakop. It was basically a little mini triangular spinach pie. Delicious. Delicious. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And Pat didn't have it. Well, we all gave it an excellent. <laughs> a scale of one to five? A four also. Yeah. A solid, not a solid four, just a four. A four. A four. All right. Uh, Poland, we had five potato pierogies with... Sausage. Caramelized onion and kielbasa. Sa- and kielbasa. Mm. Everything about it was a five. Yes. Oh, definitely a five. It took it above what you find in the south side of Pittsburgh with the, the little babushka ladies and their pierogies. It took it a step above that, which, you know, you... Above the babushkas? Above the babushkas. And you'd think that you couldn't do that, but you can't. You, usually you can't beat a babushka. <laughs> now, wait, you, you are a resident, partially, Polar, Polish. partially Polish babushka-wearing Patricia, and you give it a... Almost as good as grandmom used to make. Wow, that's high praise. Oh, that's, that's like good. serious that's high good. praise. Uh, compared to the ones that we get frozen from the A&P, I agree, it, it, they were excellent. <laughs> yeah. And we, we've stopped, we've been forced to stop in San Juan, Puerto Rico, because of the mofongos, <laughs> the pastelons de Amarillo, the gypsies armed jelly roll, the frozen pizza clada, but sadly, no frozen mojito. The mojito machine. I'm so disappointed. The was, mojito machine was down. And only again, we wanted to try it only for research purposes. All right. So first, the mofongo was like crackled plantains and shrimp, um, some cilantro, looks like tomatoes, some other green vegetables. It was a cold dish. A cold dish. What would we think? I thought the flavors all mixed together. It didn't have a lot of different flavors going on. Not as good as the uh, Amarillo. I- I'm with you. I the, agree. It, the the mofongo, although I like saying mofongo, and I'll probably repeat it more than <laughs> ten times, was excellent. The dish with the with the plantains and the beef, the casserole, 
was outstanding. There were also peppers in there. You talk about different levels of flavor, and I know we sound like Food Network, but it was just outstanding. What? Definitely outstanding. It was a nice portion. Had the beef, had the fruit, had peppers. It was outstanding. Absolutely, and that is a far and away the five out of five right there. But the dessert, this little jelly roll, which I think Deanna you described as sort of like a Twinkie on steroids. Yes. It had the guava fruit inside, some shredded coconut on top. It was outstanding. Did it beat the frozen mojito that we didn't get a chance to have? No. I'm very disappointed about the mojito. That's all right. We're going to make it up. But we still have like 18 more places to go. So we'll stop from here. We'll regroup, move along, and continue our review as we head on down the Promenade and World Showcase. I had planned on stopping after many more kiosks, but we just stopped basically in Latin America with Santiago, Chile, and Buenos Aires, Argentina and had a little sampling of everything. And in Chile, we had a little shrimp with cilantro salsa, a spicy beef empanada, and that's it. And then in Argentina, we had a beef and corn pie, they called it, grilled beef with chimichurri sauce. First thing first, the shrimp with cilantro came almost like a little wine glass, but this is what I expected the mafungo to be like. It's cold, but it's got a little zip to it. Yes, it was like a relish with the shrimp it had a lot of flavor and uh yeah the other stuff should have been this good the spicy beef empanada you called yeah the beef really did just melt in your mouth it was it was excellent yeah we we killed actually two empanadas and over in argentina the beef and corn pie was like a little this is what you had i know he had a great name for this one Man quiche. Oh, it was a, yeah. It was a man quiche. It was a quiche, <laughs> but it was all beef and good stuff, and it was yeah. hot. And uh, you, you felt yeah, like a man eating. It was beef no sissy quiche. What else is in there? The, uh, beef and corn. I'm not sure. There's egg. It's a corn pudding with peppers and beef and uh, kernels of corn. And, and do you feel like a man eating this quiche? Well, I wouldn't have gone to that description, <laughs> but uh. the thing I really liked, I think, the best was was the grilled beef with chimichurri sauce. It had like a cilantro and a basil. Uh, uh, like a basil flavor basil. with mashed potatoes, like a garlicky mashed potato on the side. That was exceptional. And the meat was definitely very tender, and it did melt in your mouth. It, it was did. delicious. It did melt. Yeah, you can almost cut it with a fork. And why is there actually any left over? Thank you, Pat, for, for helping to clean that up for us. I'm going to get back to, my, to what's left of the, uh, the cilantro salsa before we move on to... Oh, well, that's like 100 yards away to that next kiosk. But all right, we're going to finish this, and then we're going to move on. Okay, since we're only eating our way around the world and not taking time to partake in some of the other half of the food and wine festival, as in the wine and slash beer slash drink of the nation, I thought we would ask some other people who are partaking of some of the beverages what they think. And while we're in line for, I don't even know where, Vienna, Vienna... I'm. I got to meet my new friend, Denise. Denise, take a second. Just stop drinking for one second. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Very good. Where are you from? Um, I live in Orlando, but I'm originally from Wales. See, I just love the accent. That's why I stopped. Okay, and tell me what you're drinking. I'm drinking margarita from Mexico. And? And it's very. It's going down very good, very quickly, very refreshing. And how many is this for you? This is on my first. We started in Mexico and we're working our way around. We're thinking France for dessert. Exactly. And, and there's a Grand Marnier slush that you have to get. It's to die for. Excellent. 
it's designed to die for. So you have a regular margarita. Now you guys have something else going on here. You've got a green one and you've got some sort of multicolored thing going on. I believe it was called the Fiesta. Ah, the the legendary Fiesta margarita. We've spoken about it in the past. Now, are you guys eating and drinking your way around? We are trying to. And what? How's your? How are your margaritas? Excellent. Yeah, they're good. Are they your first or like the sixteenth, and you just don't know the difference at this point? (laughs) The first one here. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. you. Heading across the pond to Barcelona in Spain, we bypassed the chilled tomato and garlic soup and instead opted for. The seared tuna loin with spicy red pepper coolie, I just like saying coolie, and garlic herb ciabatta. And? Unremarkable. Unremarkable. It was a very small portion, and yeah, the tuna did not have a lot of flavor. Definitely no flavor, I have to agree. I haven't tried it. Wow. And I'm a tuna person. Yeah. Yeah. All right, hold on. I'm going to take my live review here. I'm being fed by my wife. It's nice. Um, you're right. It's missing that like second layer of flavor. I expected more spice from Spain. Yeah. Yeah. The tuna's nice. It's tender. It's cooked well, but it didn't have that zip that we. All right. You know what? Forget Spain then. Let's go over to Vienna, Austria. Yeah, oh no, wait. Oh, the churro. Yeah. Well, dessert. The most important part is the churro with the traditional chocolate sauce. I'm dipping it right as we speak. Tasted like a churro with chocolate sauce. <laughs> Yeah, thank God it's not a video podcast, Pat. The churro, the, is it just a, is it a regular, is it a Magic Kingdom churro with chocolate sauce? A little more cardboard flavor yeah. to it. A little tough. You know what? So are we are we giving Spain a, a sort of thumbs down as a whole? As a whole. Even the ducks are not going for the churro. It's not the top country so far. All right, even the ducks are bypassing. All right, so so when we go over to Austria, now do we get the beef goulash with bacon dumplings? And the Teufelsspeit? Now I know somebody from Vienna is going to kill me for butchering that and I apologize how is the beef goulash with bacon dumpling the beef goulash with bacon dumpling is actually very good um, the texture the meat was very tender <laughs> as the vultures there's like <laughs> seven forks in there at the same time because now that you see that I'm asking you while you're eating <laughs> to the beef goulash um, it's almost like a beef stew it looks like beef stew it, does. it is uh, also again not very flavorful doesn't have a lot of different flavors as we did have in the other countries. Gianna? It tastes almost like Dinty Moore beef stew. <laughs> Dinty Dinty Moore beef stew. Wow. Yes. All right. And finally the Yeful Tafel Spites. Oh, we're getting uh, that's uh, don't even bother going to to contestant number 1 cuz she's not digging it. And what, it's the, what what exactly what, is it? Do we know what's in here? The white cream sauce on the meat that is very bland. Chewy, chewy. Bland. Bland. Wow, we're hitting we're hitting like a rut in the in the promenade. It seems like Barcelona and Vienna not not tops on the list <laughs> based on the facial expressions. God, I wish we were taping this. All right, that's fine. Listen, but that's why we're doing this. Don't choke. So we can get a full sort of view of the spectrum of flavors. I don't even think yeah. that Steve is going to finish the portions. Wow, and for Steve not to finish them? <laughs> Steve has been finishing the portions of people at nearby tables. Yeah, we're going to save room as we move over towards uh, towards Asia with China and India. And then We thought this sounded like it was going to be really good, but none of it lived up to our expectations. 
Uh, you know what? Based on your reviews, I am not going to try it. I'm going to save myself. Although I, I will say that I disagree. I thought the tuna was okay. It wasn't as bad. But again, it, yeah, we, no, I don't, I'm not going to, if I need to retread my tennis shoes with the, the Yafel Spites, I'm not going to do that. All right. So we'll stop from here. We'll move on and continue our review. Okay. I've, I've now found somebody who is, like I said, taking the opposite end of the spectrum. We're eating our way. You are, in fact, drinking your way around the world? I most absolutely am. Do you even remember what your name is at this point? I do, but I'm not going to tell it to you. Just make up a name. All right, we'll, we'll call you... We'll My call, name Jasmine. is... Jasmine. No, I love Jasmine. Jasmine. Okay, Jasmine. It's a good name. And you're drinking a... Mango Margarita. From? Mexico. Mexico. Okay, now you said this is not your first... Obviously, this is clearly not your first drink. <laughs> You said you have recommendations as to what to drink around the world. Yes. Okay. First of all, mango margarita all the way. Out of any flavor in Mexico, mango is the best. Okay? Then when you hit America, they have this whole, like, Samuel Adams center. And you have to get... The anniversary beer is good. However, the cherry... What is it? Cherry wheat Samuel Adams is wonderful. It's a light beer, and it has cherry... Flavor, okay. Like a really strong cherry flavor to it. And then when you go to Japan, you have to get the raspberry sake, and it's chilled, opposed to the typically hot sake. Okay? See, so this is good. So we're getting the, the hard liquor margarita. Uh, margarita. Yeah. We're getting something for the beer drinker, something for the exotic wine drinker with the sake. And then I am the alcoholic who's trying every single one of them. <laughs> when try- you hit the United Kingdom, you have to go to the Rose and Crown Pub. Of course. That's the place to go. I mean, really honestly. Honestly, it has nothing to do with the food and wine exhibit whatsoever, but they have the best drinks, the best bartenders, and it's a really good atmosphere. Right. Great places to kind of sit, hang out, and enjoy yeah. the rest of the night. Yes. And my mother is getting a mango food tea. <laughs> so you're drinking around the world with your mom. See, Disney World is truly the place for families to bond. <laughs> Absolutely. You got lucky with this interview, buddy. <laughs> All right, so our next stop is actually in front of the China Pavilion. We were sampling flavors from Shanghai, China, and also New Delhi, India, which is right down the, down the block a little bit. In Shanghai, China, we had the port pot, pot stickers and chicken cha-cha. Now, we almost didn't get the pot stickers because we thought they were just going to be like normal pot. These were better than your average pot sticker. They were better. They, these these items here from China had the flavors we were looking for. Lots of flavor. Exactly. You got that little extra. Now, what do you think? The chicken cha cha was sort of like a chicken on a stick. Um, but describe what that flavor was like. Um, I lost track of which one that was. <laughs> Out of all these fifteen plates in front of you, was it the chicken cha cha? Uh, it, it was tasty. It had a nice flavor to it. It wasn't. When you think Chinese food, it wasn't something that was breaded. It wasn't something that was in a sweet and sour sauce. It was something a little different, but it was still very tasty. It had a very clean taste to it. Yeah, it was real chicken. It wasn't uh, like chicken nuggets. It was very good. And it wasn't, like you said, like a regular sweet and sour chicken. It was a, a completely different type of taste. Now, over in New Delhi, I was so excited when I saw the samosas were there, but it was a little bit different than it was prepared last year and much different than the samosa that you used to get in the egg roll cart in Adventureland. When you had the samosa, what'd you think? It was spicy. It was good. Very spicy. Yeah, it definitely, like I said, Val, it puts hair on your chest. <laughs> it was very good for Steve. 
<laughs> it was a little too spicy for me. Yeah, it had a, it had a big time kick to it. And the other thing that we had from there was the red shrimp, red curry shrimp over rice. And what do you guys think of that? That had some good flavor to it, but it wasn't quite. We didn't quite get it as Indian. Exactly. I think we ate the uh, samosa first, and it kind of killed our taste buds for what <laughs> came after. And what about what about the mango mousse? The mango mousse was very good. It was refreshing. Speaking of refreshing, along our travels and in our journeys, who do we run into quite unexpectedly? But as I always describe, you the lovely and talented Deb Wills from All Ears. Welcome to the Food and Wine. Hello, Lou. I was going to comment on the uh, mango mousse. Just to let you know, I gave it a two. The beat was hard to dance to. <laughs> Thank you, folks. She's going to be here all week. <laughs> now, you actually made a really good point when we first hooked up because everything that we talked about, the pot stickers had uh, pork in them. There was the chicken. There was the shrimp. There was also the, I don't even know what, what else we had here. But everything had a consistent element to it. Meat or chicken or poultry. Um, typically, the Food and Wine Festival, if you're a vegetarian, you need to, um, you have a few choices, not many. But there are cases where, for instance, in South Africa, with the Durban spice chicken also comes root vegetables. So if you don't eat chicken and they have everything separated, you could have the root vegetables. In San Francisco, it's a tenderloin of beef and uh, cheese polenta, which was really good. So you could just have the polenta. If you're vegan, I don't think there's a whole lot to offer. Um, but vegetarian, you can find a little bit. Pre- predominantly, everything's going to have some consistency of beef, meat, poultry, fish. So, you know, all of a sudden, we're going back to Istanbul. If you're a vegetarian or, I assume, for a vegan, it has everything you need because it was a pita that had an eggplant in sort of a, a yogurt thing. And it was, it was the first place we ate, and we're like, oh, my God, this is clearly a five. And then as we started to try some of the other flavors, it went down a little bit. But I guess you have to kind of be a little, um, you got to be prepared before you come because not everybody has that sort of option. Right. And uh, actually the yogurt wouldn't uh, satisfy a vegan because of the dairy in it. So they're very, very limited in in their food choices. That's going to be really tough. Um, But for vegetarian, you could probably do okay, but I wouldn't figure on a whole meal. Absolutely. Excellent. Well, do you want to join us as we continue grazing past the pavilions? I'm going to pass on the mango mousse and, and uh, oh, what, wait, we actually stopped it. We, we did stop and get a drink in Shanghai, China, thanks to our little friend over there. It was the Plum Wine Green Tea Cooler. Deanna, being our resident drink expert. Um, it's, it's refreshing, but very, very, very sweet. Very sweet. Very like, sweet. we have, like, it looks like we're at a soda shop because there's like five straws in here because I don't think you could drink a whole one of these no, on your own. I'm, I'm chucking it. Does anyone... Do you know that there are kids starving in China who would be starving. killing for that green tea coolie cooler? As, as we move on over, over the bridge towards Africa. <laughs> Making our way to Cape Town, South Africa, we tried the Durban spiced chicken with coconut milk infused root vegetables and the boboti with mango chutney. Now, which one of you guys tried the Durban chicken? We all had a chicken. You all had a chicken. And what did you think? It was good. It's not leaving a huge memory in my taste buds, but it was tasty. The vegetables were hot. Very spicy. Very spicy. Curry, like yeah, a spicy sauce. Very yeah. flavorful sauce that went with it. it Too spicy, or no? It was just right for me. It was very, good. very good. It was what? Very good. Now, what about the boboti? Did you ever have the boboti? Oh, the boboti was very good. 
uh, curry, yes. Now, what's, for, for those that might not know, do you know, can you tell just by tasting what was in it? It was like a beef, it was like a meat beef souffle. Uh, a lot of uh, egg, there was beef in it. Uh, I don't know if it's beef or lamb or a meat. And there was this mango chutney on, on top? Yeah, it was mango chutney on top, yes. Sweet, not spicy. Very sweet, no, delicious. All right, and over in Australia, oh. I got to try the pepperberry prawns on the barbie with sweet potato hash. The chilled barramundi fish with a fennel slaw, which was cold, and the grilled lamb chops with caramelized onion jam. I'll tell you, having eaten all three, I've got to say that in order, I thought that the prawns and the barbie were with the sweet potato, that was okay, but the chilled barramundi fish, which I didn't think was going to be good, which was cold, was out of sight, but the lamb by far topped them all. It was sweet, it almost fell off the bone. What little you guys actually left for me. Yeah, still was excellent, and we did leave you the bone. <laughs> Where some of the sweetest meat was, though, but it, it was really, really good. Agreed. The lamb was uh, was delicious. It had nice spice to it, but not, you know, hot spice, peppery spice. It was good. Okay, so we're like maybe three-quarters of the way around. Is anything kind of that you've eaten so far sticking in your mind? The lamb. The lamb so far is, is doing is... Is that just because it's the most recent thing that you ate? Or if you said, you know what, the one thing you've got to try when you're walking around is... You have to have the uh, the, the, the soup and the quiche. And the, man, the man quiche. The man, the, the man quiche. And also the pierogies and uh, kielbasa. And the beef when we had the man quiche. That was very good, too. That, that, uh, beef well, casserole. that beef casserole. Okay. Well, there's still there's yeah. I'm sorry. There's still much more to see. But surprise, surprise! You actually stopped and when you were doing the Victoria Falls little marketplace where you got a lot of these things, you also went to the Victoria Wine Walkabout. What exactly is that? It was very very neat. You go up and you get a passport with all these different wines in it. You purchase uh, four glasses of wine and you go and choose from a couple of different reds and a couple of different whites, which ones you'd like to try. And they give you about, I guess, about two ounces of wine for you to taste, and they're delicious. And do you guys know what that cost offhand? It was $8.50. That's not bad to try four different wines. All right, well, we still have, uh, God, we still have a number of countries to go, and we're now challenged with with the dark and illuminations coming up, so everyone has glabbed the grass. They're saluting to uh, good friends and good food, and we'll keep moving our way across the promenade. We, we're actually nearing the finish line of our World Showcase walkabout, and we kind of jumped ahead a little bit be- for a couple reasons. The line for Germany, I think it's safe to say, was the longest line of any of the kiosks in, in World Showcase, and I have to assume it was for the sausage with sauerkraut in the pretzel roll, which I know we all wanted, but we had last year, and can attest to the fact that that is awesome and one of the best things in World Showcase. Um, The line for Bologna, Italy was also really long too. We skipped that because I doubt that the pizza with sausage and baked ziti was probably much different than what we might either get at home or at our local Italian restaurant. We went to Cork, Ireland. My wife of, of Irish heritage is so excited. They ran out of food on the first night of Food and Wine Fest. They said more was coming, but... This was the first night, so they'll get a pass. No, but we did have the frozen Irish coffee. And? It was delicious. Okay, so San Francisco was next, and we had the uh, 
the seared beef medallion with cheddar cheese polenta, which we heard a number of people rave about. So, Giada, what were your thoughts? It was worth the wait in line. It had a good home-cooked American flavor. It was delicious, very tender. I would go back in line and wait for it again. God bless these United States of America. We, uh, we skipped Japan, too, because, again, it was a spicy tuna roll, California sushi roll, and seaweed salad. They were also out. Oh, they were also out, so 0 for 2 there. But, again, I was a little disappointed because I was expecting something a little bit more exotic. Pat, there was something you were looking forward to from last year, too. Yeah, they didn't have the crispy beef sukiyaki rolls that we were absolutely loved last year and uh, were really looking forward to having again this year, and they were not on the menu this time around. Yeah, did it seem like they were cutting back on a couple of, not only number of kiosks, but maybe some of the offerings, too? It seemed like a few of them might have had you know two choices instead of three. Uh, it's, I'm going to have to go back and compare last year's booklet to this year's to really be sure, but it, uh, it did seem that a few places that used to have three choices only had two. And then we're finishing off, for now, for now anyway, with Wellington, New Zealand. There was bay scallops with baby greens and cranberry vinaigrette, the lamb slider on a brioche roll, and the kiwi meringue tartlet. The baby scallions with... Uh, the base scallops with baby greens, again, not a big fan favorite? No, it was a little dull. The scallops, uh, you know, they were the small base scallops, but they didn't absorb a lot of the flavor of the other uh, vegetables. It seems like we're missing the mark on a lot of these the cold, relishy seafood dishes. Yeah, the, sea- the scallops were also a little rubbery. It wasn't really, uh, it, nothing really grabbed uh, that one, it really just wasn't that. Good. I will tell you, you guys were fine, kind enough to save me a single bite of the of the lamb slider, but that I thought was awesome. That was awesome. I could have gone for a really big sandwich of that. I could have gone for like a little plateful of like two or three of the lamb sliders. Yeah, it was oh, almost on a good. sweet like roll, like sweet bun kind. Of. And it was very tender. It, I mean, yeah. it fell apart, and like your roll, you're right. The roll was very sweet. And then we kind of finished that little off with the <laughs> kiwi meringue slider. Looked. T- slider, tart, tartlet, tartlet. Did it look better than it tasted? It looked better than it tasted. We expected it something with a little more sourness to it, but it didn't quite have that. You got the kiwi, and I thought it was very light. Like, I thought it was good, but again, it almost seemed like we were expecting that little extra level of flavor that, that some of these dishes were missing. That's right. It was lacking something. All right, so what do, what do we have left on the... Obviously, as you can hear, Illuminations just ended, but, there, but wait, there's more because... There's Marrakesh, Morocco, Louisiana, and France before we head on back to the International Gateway. So we'll see if we can hit those. Steve's a trooper, man. You're just, you're going, you'll do this all night long. So we're going to try and wrap it up with those final couple of kiosks. As far as we can go, as long as they keep serving. (laughs) We unfortunately weren't able to hit Marrakesh, Morocco, that had the grilled beef and hummus in the pita pocket, the chicken brouat rolls, and baklava. But we did hit Louisiana. Unfortunately, they were out of the crawfish etouffee, but fortunately, they were not out of this Louisiana seafood gumbo. And for me personally, I think we saved the best for next to last because I thought that was just spectacular. Yes, it was worth waiting for. If we had that earlier, it might have spoiled it for all the other countries. It tasted good, and uh, I'm glad they didn't run out of that. It had a, I mean, it had a great like bite and a zip to it. It had rice. I mean, there was a lot of big chunks of, like, shrimp and seafood in there. I thought it was exceptional. I would have gone back for a second one. Oh, yes. It was very savory, and then it had that little kick that you just expect from Louisiana. 
Exactly. That's the thing. You got exactly what you expected from it, that it was going to have that kind of little kick to it. Plus, you got that cute little tiny bottle of Tabasco oh, sauce. That's <laughs> yes. what I want to say. <laughs> The bottle of Tabasco was the kicker. And we thought we were going to kind of wrap up the night in France with the Grand Marnier slush and the the Grey Goose frozen citrus. But we did actually go over to Lyon and try the escargot. And we also had the goat cheese and leek quiche and the milk chocolate creme brulee. You have to finish off the night with dessert. So surprise surprise the escargot was very good you get three Deanna you never had escargot before what did you think of it I thought it was very good Uh, the texture was very creamy and it came in a very nice little pouch of uh, this little pastry and it was very buttery and um, it was delicious yeah the escargot wasn't what I was expected it it was a little salty but I thought the way it was presented and the way the the whole texture I think really was 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 worth it yeah, it had a lot of the uh, breading. It was probably more breading than what, than what you would expect, but that was very good, the pastry. All right, and the quiche was the quiche. It was, wasn't as manly like the man quiche, and the creme brulee was good, but I think the, the best part of the night has been the, the creme brulee and the frozen gray grew slush. Yes, these uh, slushes are very good. And we're actually in the private Illuminations dessert viewing area, and um, as I said before, it's much cheaper after Illuminations for us to get it for the five of us, so... <laughs> But this has been a great way to, um, to end the night and to end the reviews. Thank you guys for spending, what has it been now, about four hours mm-hmm. walking around. We did it. We hit pretty much every kiosk. Um, final thoughts of, of Food & Wine? I think it was a wonderful evening with wonderful tastes and good times with friends. I have to definitely agree. Yeah, definitely a great experience and a lot of fun, and I hope more people come down to enjoy it. I'm already looking forward to next year. Yeah, and we didn't even do so many of the different add-on things and the other special events and the other wine tastings and pairings and the Sweet drinks. Sundays. Yeah, mm-hmm. there's so much more to Food and Wine Festival. But even if you just do this, get your family, get some friends, and just want to walk around, taste and sample some of the things from the different pavilions, it is definitely worth coming down for it. So thank you, Steve, Pat, Deanna, and Val, and our new friend over here, Brian Fee, who joined us halfway along the way. For, uh, for sharing your, your thoughts and review, reviews and uh, Kungaloosh. So we finished off the evening over at the, the very nice and very relaxing Victoria Falls Lounge uh, over at Disney's Animal Kingdom where a number of us stay. And I have to say, this was my first time staying here, and, and what a nice, nice resort. Um, it's just beautiful. We were talking before, there's just so much to do, including just sitting around the non-working fire pit during the day and just relaxing with friends. But the lobby and the restaurants and everything else are just exceptional. Gorgeous. It's pretty darn cool to, you know, open up your windows and look out and see a giraffe walk by. Yeah. Right. Zebras. Zebras. Kind of yak animals. A yak and a yeti. A yak and a yeti. We're outside our room. Uh-huh. <laughs> And speaking of Yak and Yeti, that really sort of leads us to Saturday, which was the reason that a lot of us came down, because Saturday was the inaugural Expedition Everest 5K Challenge. Oh, and we forgot to mention the scavenger hunt and obstacle course. Um, we hit Disney Animal Kingdom in the morning a little bit, and then went to go pick up our race packets where we started to find out a little bit about what was going to go on later in the day. And there weren't a lot of details about the race before. We knew it was going to be a quote-unquote 5K but then when we heard the talk about what the obstacle course and scavenger hunt were going to be, 
some some eyebrows were raised. Right, exactly. It was a cool event. It had Jamie Clark, who's an expedition uh, cl- uh, an Everest climber, who uh, introduced a lot of these things. So the, seeing what the actual obstacle course was was a, sh- a shock to everybody because they, they were talking about you might get stuck in an avalanche, you might get blown over by wind, and instead we were at boot camp. So. Yeah. Yeah, the the expectation I think was that there was going to be like little bouncy houses and you know sack races and balance an egg, and I went there with Val and Steve and we went to the to the pre race talk, fortunately, and found out what what some of the obstacles were going to really be. Yes, we did, and I think I smacked you in the head about three or four times, didn't I? Right, because it's my fault actually that you're exactly. here. Exactly, that's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah, because the obstacles weren't the cute little bouncy houses. It was actually. They were cargo nets. You had to climb up and down cargo nets. Military hurdles. Then you had to climb under the cargo net. And then there was the, the balance, balance beam. beam. It was before, and it was a long balance beam. It was it was pretty tricky. Yeah, this was no joke. No, I was getting kind of dizzy walking across <laughs> there. <laughs> yeah, it, it was definitely high. And again, for people like me, um, it, it definitely... We figured Disney Legal might not have uh, seen the course before it started because there was no mats and no No, I actually saw the lawyers right behind the paramedics so I'm sure everything was I had fun going through the course I did too because and I think that's what it was we started in the Animal Kingdom parking lot and seemed to run for about six miles before we actually made it into Disney's Animal Kingdom you ran through it was we started in the furthest part of the parking lot. Yeah. Yeah. All the way at the end. Those miles seemed way longer than normal miles. Miles to get into the park were just forever. I felt like it was 30. It, well, we'll talk about how the fact that the 5K really wasn't a 5K because you ran around the parking lot um, and then you ran through the park. You came back out again and you had your little timing chip on, but you went right from sort of the end of the finish line right into the obstacle course. There was no rest. There was no nothing. Next thing you know, you're up on the cargo net just going, running in the sand and running in the dirt. and Hurtling over the hurdles that were about five and a half feet tall, much taller than my husband, so we did... You know, I was even, you know what? I was even going to say... <laughs> we did get over them. But the cool, you know what? And it was teamwork. We did it together. The, the good thing was, was the cargo net that everybody else was crawling under, I was able to stand up and just walk right through. So I laughed at all of you because my knees didn't get dirty like yes. you. But then you're finished with the obstacle course, or so you think. And again, you're sort of waiting. Is there a break? What's my time? And then you're handed a passport. And so, okay, oh, by the way, walk that whole distance again. Walk that additional six or seven no. miles before you got into the park, after you, when you picked up your passport, it was about another quarter of a mile walk to get back into the park. No, two miles easy. Oh. Two miles easy. That's a huge parking lot. For my little legs, for, for some of the taller folks, it was like six steps. For me, I was like, I was totally winded. But this is, this is where I was kind of in my element. Because you're given a passport with some instructions, a map of the park, and then four clues that took you through Discovery Island, Africa... Asia, and then Expedition Everest. And the cool thing was, was I think we said there was probably about eight different versions of the passports because we all had different clues. Yeah, I think there was about eight different versions because mine was different than Glenn's and then somebody else was with us and theirs was different. And some of them had the same elements. Yeah. Similar, like, like, they mixed up. She mentioned one of her elements. I said, that's the one I had. Then we looked at it and said, no, it's not. So they mixed the elements up. 
Yeah, and you can see some people, I mean, some of the clues are tricky because there were people sort of just staring at the wall with this look on their face. Like, they, you know, they've just gotten, they've, they've done the four-minute mile, and now they're standing there staring at the wall wondering what a bluebell possibly is. Uh, but I thought this was really fun. I like this, this yeah. part of the, of the race. Yeah. The only thing that was confusing was for the people who maybe were more, quote-unquote, hardcore runners, you, I don't think you got an accurate time as to, okay, what did I do the 5K in? What did I do the obstacle course in? It, it just sort of was one big number that you got. Unfortunately for you, Lou, none of us are hardcore runners, so we can't give you that viewpoint. All of us really liked just walking around, checking out the clues. Exactly, and it makes my time a little this bit less embarrassing. Than <laughs> we were in our element now. All I those runners, the they were staring at that door going, there's got to be something there, and we're like... <laughs> We See? know. Yeah. So you guys got four. They might have done the four-minute mile, but you guys all got That's four out of four right. on your clues. So, right. um, And then ended up in Dino Land, and they sort of had a, a little after party. Um, there was a lot of music along. There was also music along the course, and some of the attractions were open. We rode Everest three or four times. Again, general consensus, Expedition Everest at night. I love Expedition Everest at night. Yeah, I love the park. It was completely different at night. It was great. I just liked, and we did, just sort of wandering the park at night. It takes on a whole different level, and I hope they're able to do something in the future where they can keep Animal Kingdom open later on into the evening. So, I would like to request that next year they have more than, than just Restaurantosaurus open for food after this gathering. We were, pro- we were hoping Yak and Yeti, yeah. I think yeah, Flame Tree was open, Restaurantosaurus. Yak and Yeti would have been really nice as sort of a post-race like meal. House, I understand it's on the other side of the park, but still, Yak and Yeti was within the distance that they could have done that. Yeah. Restaurantosaurus just really, I mean, yeah, that's great when you've got your kids and they don't want to eat anything else but chicken nuggets and french fries, but, you know, it would have been nice to have something a little more tasteful. Yeah. Now, would you guys do, if they, I, I'm assuming they're going to have this again, would you do this kind of race again next year? Definitely. Yes. Yes, I think it's... Uh, it's great to have a fun run like this. People that are intimidated by maybe a 5K should try this. And that's, and that's exactly where I was going to go, which is, I, I think, other than Steve and maybe Glenn, who's, you know, who did Steve well. I was going to say, my wife Right. But, I mean, this is the kind of race. These are the, I like these themed races because these are the races that I think anybody can do. You don't have to be a runner. You can walk. We saw people in costumes. We saw people with gigantic four-foot pink wigs. We saw some interesting gentlemen dressed up like the Wicked Witch of the West. And children. And children. Yeah, children. Exactly. Yeah, there were, there were some the, young people. We saw the, the um, Disney moms. And right. they had some of the Disney kids that made them the Disney moms. It was great. Yeah, and I think everybody, I think everybody seemed to really enjoy it. Um, I think things like this, even the Tower of Terror, I mean, that's a 13K, but again, it's that sort of themed run. And I hope they keep doing these kind of things because, again, you don't need to be... Um, an athlete, so. I think the best part was we had our own personal cheerleader with her pom-poms. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty cool. Pat brought everybody colored glow bracelets, yeah. and she had pom-poms and wands, and I think you ran more going from the starting line to the obstacle course, into the park, back out of the park. <laughs> yeah, I did get a pretty good workout that way. I didn't quite plan on it, but, uh, yeah, I was pretty tired too by the end she was our wdw radio mom she took care of all of us yeah no kidding absolutely thank you any sort of final thoughts about the week the race anything anybody wanted to add i think uh our adventures in eating was spectacular Steve, man. Me, Steve and I bonded this week big time steve and i are going to come back just to review food and wine i think every year 
I think it was awesome, and I have to thank all these wonderful people because you're just you're great. What a great time! Yeah, so much of what makes Disney work is all these people from around the country getting together. Yeah. I think we constantly we read all of the different sites. And we want to know as much as we can. And when you're planning your trip, you're thinking of where you're going to go and what you're going to eat and what you're going to do. But what we came up with this over this weekend is that every Disney's trip is different. And, it, and it's because of the people that you're here with and the experiences that you share with them and the bonding that you do when you're here. And it'll never be the same. You can come again for another Everest weekend and it's going to be a whole different experience. But, you know, this will live in my, my mind forever. I'm going to cry. No. Everybody took my answer. <laughs> yeah, all what they said. Well, you're right. Because you know what, too? We met so many people along the way, either at the radio show meet or just walking around or even on the race course. People saw some of our shirts and stopped us. And wonderful. it yeah. just, the time that we spent just like this, just hanging out and chatting was some of the best time. Oh, yeah, definitely. There were times where, you know, there were people that, came up and and we didn't know didn't I didn't know their names but by the time we left them we felt like friends forever um Lisette and Dan and uh some of the other people that have all been part of our group that in and out of our group and 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 Jerry and and now with Virginia and and it's just you know it's so great because it, it yes Disney is such a great place to come with your family but it is such a different experience and so much fun to come with friends yeah well, for me, it was the first time to meet all of you, and this was really exciting. It's been probably my most relaxed trip and, and, and the most unique, and you all have helped make it that. I've enjoyed it. I especially enjoyed uh, the lunch meet over at uh, Animal Kingdom. Before. Not the lunch meet, the meeting at lunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> so technical. Uh, because there were so many. We had must, must have been close to 20 people there, uh, you know, from the U.K., from other parts of Florida, you know. And getting to meet and see them for the first time was really, really fun. Yeah, we yeah. say it's not about riding the rides. It's not about... Rushing, it, it is to a large part about the food, but the food is only good because of the people that you're sharing it with. And yeah, I want to thank food the food. All right, the food is good, but I mean, we had so much fun just just sampling everything. And uh, I really appreciate you guys taking time to you know sit and, and kind of recap everything today, as well as for you know all the memories that we made and we shared, and all the other people, like you said, that we met along the way. And there were so many. So Tony and his wife. Tony, yeah, again, great guy, great guy, and they're you know avid supporters of the, the site they did great they finished his wife did a great job and yeah congratulations to everybody too that you know went to the race and finished it wasn't about time it wasn't about anything else it was just about having a good time so and glenn didn't kill over glenn did not kill glenn was number five yeah. you just don't say nothing else you were number five were. it has nothing to do with how you finish it just the number on your bib so but thank you guys again um i, I look forward to doing this again with you as soon as possible, if, if possible. So. WDW Radio, your information station. And just going on record, there was no alcohol involved in this, and and I did not sing one bar of that. So, <laughs> thanks, guys. 
When we talk about Walt Disney World, we use words like magical and phrases like dreams coming true. And for my next guest, those words not only define who he is and what he's done, but some of the things that he has helped create. And his story is not just an inspiring one, but one that's still being written as his forward-thinking ideas and creativity has led to the creation of groundbreaking experiences like the Rainforest Cafe, the Yak and Yeti, and soon, downtown Disney's own T-Rex Cafe. He's Steve Shussler, the visionary behind these restaurants, and it's my pleasure to welcome him to the WDW Radio Show. Mr. Shussler, thank you for taking time to join me today. Thank you. It's really wonderful to have you here, and, uh, you know, your story is really the true rags-to-riches fairy tale. You're, you're living the American dream. You grew up as a child with, with dreams that you turned into reality, starting off maybe from, from not the most ideal circumstances as a kid, but your drive really turned things around for you at a very early age. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your experiences growing up and taking you through the years? Well, my parents got divorced when I was eight, and uh, I basically uh, had to go out and work in order to, uh, to have discretionary income, whether it was to, be, to buy football cleats or a new football shoulder pads or a football helmet. So I've really been working full-time since age eight. And uh, um, I've had a, a whole slew of jobs. Uh, uh, before I was 18, I think I had uh, over 50 jobs. I, I, uh, uh, and it, it gave me an incredible experience and a hands-on opportunity, I think, that, uh, that molded my, my values and, uh, and, uh, and, and created these, uh, these magical experiences to, to allow them to happen. Yeah, because while other kids are out, you know, playing or, or doing sports, you are selling newspapers and you're flipping pizzas. And, and even as you went from being a child through the later years in college, you never sort of lost that drive. You, if I re- understand correctly, you went to school at night and you worked a full time job during the day. Yes, and and then interviewed. Uh, uh, I had an unusual job. I was a lineman for the phone company. And um, while going to school at night and while working full-time as a lineman, actually climbing telephone poles, I, I actually interviewed for jobs at lunchtime on top of the telephone pole while all the other guys would uh, and women <laughs> would come down and eat their bag lunches. I, I'd actually climb up and plug into telephone lines and interview for jobs. So I was always, uh, always hustling. But that really is not sort of the, the pinnacle of you using some unique time and circumstances to try and open a door for you because you uh, you were trying to get a job in radio and advertising and sales. You were, you were meeting all these closed doors for some time. You did something, obviously, a little different and clearly unorthodox. Tell us, tell us that story about how you got that first job. Well, clearly unorthodox, you're right. <laughs> and uh, uh, ba- basically, uh, uh, I decided I wanted to be in the broadcast business and I'm I wanted to be in the sales end of it, selling uh, advertising time, which, uh, as you well know, is an intangible. And it's probably the hardest uh, sell that you have is selling an intangible, something you can't feel and touch. And I decided that uh, if uh, th- that in, in the business of uh, broadcast, it's a pressurized business, and I found that the only thing that could break the monotony of the pressure uh, was laughter. And that if I did something that was intelligent but funny, 
at the same time. And if I was taken seriously, it would be something that uh, my prospective employer would never forget. And instead of being told I was going to be the next person that was hired, I, I'd actually be the next person that was hired. So I, uh, I came up with this ingenious method that, that I thought at the time uh, uh, I thought at the time was ingenious to uh, have myself uh, delivered in a crate uh, in a Superman costume, complete with uh, red tights and and uh, you know the, the blue torso and the and the red cape and and I had a sandwich and a and a Diet Coke uh, in the crate in case I had to stay overnight because I really didn't know if he was going to be there or not. And I had two off-duty Miami uh, Miami Beach police officers uh that uh, that uh, were friendly with me at the time now remember this is back in the uh, the early 70s and um and I paid them to uh to come with their uniform and and a paddy wagon and and basically take me in this crate to the general manager uh at the time which was WGBS radio CBS affiliate in Miami and uh they took me there laughing all the way I could hear them in the crate and uh I forgot to put holes in the crate so uh Halfway on our journey, uh, uh, you know, it reached about 110 degrees in the crate, and I thought I was going to die. I was praying to God that uh, he wouldn't let me die in my Superman costume. And the Diet Coke exploded, and the salami sandwich I had uh, spoiled. So you can imagine how, uh, how upset I was in the crate in my Superman costume. Before I even got on my uh, my journey, uh, I stunk, and my hands were sticking together. And yeah, anyway. Uh, we got to uh, the location, and I got wheeled in a, with a uh, uh, cart uh, into the general manager's office, past his secretaries and all the news people that were worked for the station that were that were watching. And uh, uh, inside his office, uh, the two police officers explained that I was an expensive piece of furniture from Mexico, and that I basically uh, they couldn't leave me alone. Anyway, they called all over town and found uh, the general manager. His name was Don Hamlin, and. Uh, uh, they brought him back to the office with all of his board of directors. They were all in a meeting, and uh, he was pretty upset when he came back. And by now, we had created a crowd of about 50 people wanting to know why there were police officers in his office guarding this crate. And uh, I, I really thought I was going to die. And uh, they opened up the crate finally uh, after much discussion, saying that he didn't order any expensive piece of furniture from Mexico. And I came flying out like a jack-in-the-box. Pieces of the salami sandwich were, were being spawn all over the place. And the, the Diet Coke, obviously, was uh, sticking my hands together. And uh, uh, it was quite an episode. But I came flying out, and I said, Hello, everybody. My name is Steve Schusser, and I am your new super salesman. And although they thought I was crazy and threw papers and their briefcases up in the air, they said, Son, you're one of the sickest people we've ever met. You're hired. And uh, and they gave me the opportunity to uh, to uh, use what they consider to be uh, my my boldness to uh, to start a radio career. And that's the thing, and that's sort of what defines your entire career is that without taking that kind of risk, there was no reward. And as you went on being the entrepreneur that you were, you went through, you sort of ran the gamut. You sold jukeboxes, and then you ran a nightclub business when things didn't sort of pan out in the jukebox business. But then you turn the corner and you really take things to the next level with the creation of the Rainforest Cafe. Can you tell us what the, the story of maybe how you came up with the concept and not only how you created this interactive dining experience, but what you did to make it happen and sort of that risk that you took with your own house? 
Well, we had a very successful nightclub and restaurant business called Jukebox Saturday Night, and it span, expanded uh, uh, seven years and had four locations in Chicago, one in Des Moines, one in San Francisco, one in Springfield, Mass., and one in Minneapolis. That landed me in Minneapolis. And when, uh, uh, when my Jukebox Saturday Night was fading out because it was a themed nightclub experiences, and themed nightclubs usually have a three-year lifespan, when that started to fade away after seven long years, uh, expanding it by four more years than the, the, than the national average, I, I wanted to be. I decided I wanted to be in the family business, and that I I wanted uh, family hours, and and uh, I, 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 I wanted to create something that everyone, whether they were three or 103, would like and enjoy, and it would prosper. And uh, it was a very hard thing to do because uh, I had failed uh, in my nightclub experience, or uh, I closed, and that was considered a failure, even though I had seven years in a in a uh, in an area that uh, would would only usually dominate for three. And uh, I decided that the only way to really convince investors and others of my seriousness was to be committed. And the only way to be committed was to actually immerse myself in the concept by building it in my home. And I spent four years uh, actually building uh, the tropical rainforest in my home, complete with uh, uh, canopies, and uh, every room was a different vignette. And uh, I remember moving all my furniture out, preparing my walls with black paint for the preparation of my greenery treatment and my, uh, my experiment with building a canopy for the tropical rainforest. And all my neighbors thought that I was a nut. They thought I was into devil worship and I was going to eat their kids <laughs> because I was painting my, my walls and my ceilings black in preparation for my greenery treatment. Anyway, they all bought walkie-talkies and started a watch group. And my, my electric, my gas, and my phone were turned off literally every month for two years while I was raising the money to complete this uh, experiment. I spent a half a million dollars converting my home into a tropical rainforest complete with 35-foot waterfalls, 40 tropical birds, two, two tortoises that were over 100 years old. And I experimented with every asset of uh, a tropical rainforest. I had over 3,300 bright orange extension cords running through my home, two gasoline generators in my backyard to help support the electricity. And now today, we have 45 rainforest cafes that have opened, uh, spawned seven years in three continents. Uh, we sold it in 2000 to Landry's Restaurants, which today still operate the uh, the restaurant, and it's been an incredible experience. It's a, they're over 15 years old, and they're still comping up and still doing well, and they're still an attraction, and we're very, very proud uh, uh, of that affiliation, and very proud that there's a Rainforest Cafe in every Disney location in the world. Well, well that's it. The, the fascinating thing to me about the Rainforest Cafe, and like you said, the, there's so many of them, the dozens that sprung up around the country, and as well as some of the other themed properties you created that we'll talk about, in light of so many of the themed restaurants that just never worked out or weren't even able to get off the ground, names like Motown Cafe and the Fashion Cafe, even David Copperfield's Magic Underground, which at one time was planned to be in downtown Disney, not far from where your next restaurant is going, why do you think, what do you think it is about the Rainforest Cafe that continues to be so endearing and keeps them so popular? Well, it's a great question. One is, I think, our attention to detail. We did our homework. We spent a lot of time in, in R&D, research and development. We went to libraries. We read about deforestation. We read about the, uh, about the vanishing species. We learned about uh, uh, tropical birds, and we had an outreach program. 
uh, where we went into communities. Uh, and quite frankly, you can't talk about restaurants without first talking about the food. Our food was not good. It was great. And it still is. We do a great job. You know, people come once for the wow factor, but they come back for good quality food and service. And I think we exemplified that in a lot of ways. We are very consistent with our food and our service, and that continues today with uh, with Landry's uh, operating it. And, and I think it has endless appeal because it's an escape. Uh, and it doesn't matter whether you're three or you're 103. Uh, everybody likes the tropical rainforest. And, 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 and the attention to detail that we used in building these are really off the chart. It's, a, it's unprecedented in the world. When you go into a rainforest cafe, you really feel like you've escaped and you've gone into a different place. And it, uh, it's a wild place to shop and eat. And, uh, and we, we did a lot of great educational programs. Uh, I, I think we, we do a lot to, to uh, emerge people's senses. Uh, well, the concepts we build are really truly uh, uh, based on the five senses, and we try to use that. Uh, in every thought process that that uh, that we bring to the table, we're very 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 proud of what we created in the Rainforest Cafe, and proud of the uh, the literally millions of people that uh, that uh, around the world are eating at them today. Well, and and that's why the marriage of the Rainforest Cafe and Disney works out so well because of that attention to detail, because of that pride and excellence in every aspect of what you do. It's not just a show. You you make sure that the food is good as well. And we know that there's two rainforest cafes. There's one in downtown Disney. And there's also one at the at the very entrance to Disney's newest theme park. I mean, what it, it's such a, 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 a it, wonderful place to have. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, to to have your restaurant put at the, the forefront, right at the big, oh, entrance to the new theme park, must have been amazing. How did that relationship with Disney begin? Well, it, 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 it began with a gentleman named Bud Dare, who uh, was, was working and uh, was in charge of uh, uh, bringing uh, new, new people to, to Disney. Uh, and and uh, uh, it was an incredible experience for us. Uh, uh, it, it took an awful long time and many presentations and, and many visits on Disney's part to feel that we were worthy to uh, be in a Disney theme park. And we're proud today to have three in the United States. We have one at Disneyland uh, as well in Los Angeles. And uh, it's uh, quite an incredible accomplishment to, uh, to be able to attract all those smiling children and families that... Uh, uh, that uh, that occupy the rainforest cafes today, and uh, that led us on to develop a Shusser Creative, which is a a, a, a an incredible um, laboratory in Golden Valley, Minnesota, which uh, specializes in just creating theatrical environments for uh, attractions, restaurants, and retail stores stores worldwide. And uh, November of this year, of last year, in, uh, in 1997. Uh, we, we opened up Yak and Yeti, which is a, a Pan-Asian experience, which is absolutely incredible, straight out of the Himalaya Mountains. And uh, it's a 600-seat restaurant, 350 seats is quick service, 250-seat uh, table service restaurant, and it's smack in the middle of, the middle of Disney's Animal Kingdom in the Asia uh, 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 area of uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom. And it is... Uh, Phenomenal food, a phenomenal experience. It's totally captivating, 
and um, it, it, it fits right in with Disney. It looks like the restaurant and 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 uh, the hotel that this proprietor had looked like he's been there for over 200 years, and uh, we're very 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 proud of that. And uh, uh, we open up October 14th of this year, T-Rex, uh, downtown Disney, 30,000 square feet. Uh, cost us close to $29 million, which probably makes it one of the most expensive restaurants uh, uh, in the United States. It's a prehistoric family adventure. Uh, it's a place to eat, shop, explore, and discover. And we have over 35 life-sized animatronic dinosaurs. We have cascading waterfalls throughout, bubbling geysers. We have a beautiful fossil dig site. We have a paleo laboratory, uh, an ice cave, which will blow your mind. It's just uh, unbelievable. It changes colors. And, and uh, uh, we have a 6,000-gallon shark tank, a meteorite shower that happens every 20 minutes. We have uh, woolly mammoths uh, in, uh, outside the ice cave. And we've got them, we've got the, the restaurant actually divided into several separate and distinctive dining rooms, each with its own theme and animatronic dinosaurs. Um, an animatronic dinosaur, uh, octopus, which is about 35 feet in diameter, diameter greets visitors to our shark bar. Uh, our Ice Age room uh, resurrects the woolly mammoth, complete with uh, babies and falling snow. We have a sequoia room, which is the home of a triceratops and its little baby, along with uh, a 2,000-gallon exotic fish tank. And we also have a shark room, a fern forest room, a geotech room, aqua room, and an outside deck for dining. Uh, the Kitchen of Fire, which we have as trademark, it offers a, a brick pizza oven and rotisserie that allow our uh, incredible Disney guests to see meals being prepared. And then we have Build-A-Dino by Build-A-Bear. Uh, that's incredible. Young dinosaur fans will enjoy the chance to take home their own uh, dinosaur with a Build-A-Dino, where best friendosauruses are made. It's a new store inside T-Rex, and it's actually developed by our company, Shusser Creative, uh, and with Build-A-Bear. Uh, so there's, there's so many different things to do. Uh, we have a sluice. We have a dig site inside uh, where, where kids will be occupied while, uh, uh, since kids... Uh, they, they like to eat a little bit faster than their parents. So there's literally something for everybody. Uh, uh, I consider it the, the most uh, phenomenal thing that I've ever created in my lifetime. And I'm very, very, very excited to bring it to, to uh, downtown Disney. We, we actually opened up one T-Rex in Kansas City, Kansas, uh, a year and a half ago. And uh, we learned an awful lot from the success of that. And, and w with that... Uh, uh, over doubled the size of the one we have there to, to build this that's uh, coming to downtown Disney October 14th. Yeah, I've seen construction going on downtown Disney for months, and I can say that if the interior looks anywhere nearly as impressive as the exterior, people are going to be blown away. And it, it's almost hard to imagine as you describe the different rooms what they're going to look like because, again, it's not just a place to eat. It really is, it's an entertainment experience, and there's live fish, and there's so much for adults and kids and kids at heart to do when they go. We're very, very, very proud, and the opportunity to have three, uh, Yak and Yeti, Rainforest Cafe, and T-Rex is, is absolutely unbelievable. We, we all pinch ourselves every day for the incredible opportunity and the experience that we're able to share with the, the millions of visitors who, uh, who come to Disney's parks, so we're, 
we're very, very, very excited. And uh, I thank you for giving us this opportunity to thank the millions of of, of visitors that uh, that we have and our guests uh, all across the world and thank them for their patronage. No, we, we are the ones really who benefit. And as somebody who is not just saying it because you're on the phone, who thinks that the Yak and Yeti is not just some of the best food in a theme park, but some of the best food on property. Um, it, it really, we're excited about what is lies ahead for T-Rex um, and, and everything else that you have coming up in the future. Because there's so much more, like I said, just than the food. Like, for example, like Rainforest, Yak and Yeti, that sense of authenticity is so paramount, even above and beyond the food. Because, for example, some of the items found in there, they weren't created by Imagineers. They came from your warehouse, and these are authentic antiques correct oh ab- 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 absolutely and y- yak and yeti uh it's been a lifetime of, of of collecting and to be able to take uh joe Rody's uh experience from disney and take their story and 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 build a place uh that looks like it's it's been there for 200 years and uh and and, and create something magnificent is uh is is, is really a, a gift to be able to work with such talented people now uh, let 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 me not uh, mislead you. I have a team, and my team is absolutely incredible. And without that team, uh, I wouldn't be as successful as as, as we are uh, together. And uh, so we we have a, a great team of people that allow me uh, to to have that imagination and work with it. And uh, uh, again, without that team, I, I couldn't do it. And uh, I'm very excited about the opportunity. Well, I have to ask, not just because I'm a fan of Rainforest, obviously Yak and Yeti, but I have a feeling I'm going to be a big fan of T-Rex as well. You just don't seem like the type of person, Mr. Shussler, to kind of rest on his laurels. You're always so forward-thinking. Can you give us maybe a hint of what's, pardon the pun, cooking, or, or maybe what's next, maybe something else coming to Orlando, possibly? Well, we have uh, 13 new concepts that, that, that are in our laboratory that are in the in, uh, uh, just coming out of uh, hibernation, and uh, they, they're coming out of the incubator. Actually, they're 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 fully ready to go. Uh, we have a winter wonderland scene, uh, which is off the chart. It's basically Christmas twenty four seven. We have a concept called Aero Blue, which is nineteen thirty nine to nineteen fifty nine. It's jazz, and it's back in the Art Deco area, and it's about a guy named Max Morgan who won a DC three airplane at a poker game in Paris, and it's about his travels to New Orleans, London, New York City, um, and Havana, Cuba. And it's about the food from those different places as well. So everything that we create has a story, and uh, we love creating the story. We love creating the, the logos uh, and, and breathing life into the brands. And we're very, very excited about bringing all these to life. And that's why, like I said, Rainforest and T-Rex and Yak and Yeti and even some of the other concepts you described are such a perfect fit for Disney because it is about story and it's about experience and it's about making the guest happy and allowing them to be a kid again. Whether you bring your family or you're just an adult who wants to feel like a kid again, that's where it is. You, you've created these fun places for kids and kids at heart. So hopefully maybe some of those concepts that you talked about might come to light in some other places uh, in and around Walt Disney World. Oh uh, well, you, you'll see. You'll, you, hopefully, you'll see some of them if we, if uh, God gives us the opportunity and Disney gives us the opportunity to make them make them happen. Well, I know I and I'm sure my listeners are excited as well, partially because you you talk about 
the things that you're working on and the things you have coming up with such passion that you can't help it. It's contagious and get excited about it. And I know I'm looking forward to the opening of T-Rex. That's currently scheduled in a couple of months later on in 2008, like I said, in downtown Disney. For more information, I'm going to direct my listeners to get a sneak peek at what they can see by going to visit the website. That's over at T-Rex Cafe. And Mr. Schussler, like I said, you are the genius behind Rainforest and Yak and Yeti and so much more. Let's help you. Let's help your visitors by giving them our website. It's www.schusslercreative.com. That's S-C-H-U-S-S, as in Sam, L-E-R, creative.com. And uh, that will give you the appropriate links, and you can check out everything that we create, all of our restaurants. And I hope all of your listeners and uh, everybody that you talk to will know that Tuesday, October 14th, T-Rex comes to downtown Disney, and we're very, very, very excited about seeing you there. Excellent. We have we have the date officially coming right from the very top. So October 14th is definitely the date to be in downtown Disney. Again, congratulations on all of your success. I said your story really is an inspiring one, not just to me, but I'm sure to my listeners. And again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come and talking to me here on the WDW Radio Show. And who knows, maybe I'll see you down at the T-Rex Cafe. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Thank you. After the big announcement in July 2008, three rounds of challenges and thousands of online entries and votes, the time has finally come to crown the grand prize winner of the WDW Radio Show Adventureland Challenge Contest, the true ultimate adventurer. But rather than me just read the name, here's the phone call I just made to the winner. Hello. Hi, is Kathy there, please? Yeah, that's me. Kathy, this is Lou Mangello. How are you? Hey, how are you doing? Good. Did I catch you at a bad time? I'm driving and illegally talking on a cell phone, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm actually almost to my rehearsal, so. All right. I, I don't want to get you in trouble, so I'm going to make this um, quickly. I'm actually calling because, as you know, the voting for the challenge ended, I guess, a couple of weeks ago, and I haven't announced the winner on the show as yet. So I wanted yeah. to I wanted to call you before it went out on the air and I just wanted to say thank you so much for playing and I wanted to thank you for listening to the show and how much I appreciate your participation in the contest and um, I, I also wanted to say that well Kathy Adams you're the winner of the WDW radio show Adventureland Challenge contest you are the ultimate adventurer and you're going to Disney World <laughs> That's so awesome. I was trying oh. to drag it out to make you up miserable and then kind of spring it on you. <laughs> well, you, you succeeded there, yes, you know. <laughs> All right, so yeah, tell, I, uh, tell, I'm recording this for the show, so tell me and the listeners what you're thinking. Oh, my God, I, it's, it's sort of unreal, you know. I can't, I can't even tell you. It's, uh, you know, 
it's been a long two months, and <laughs> it's, uh, and you know, you just had to go down to Disney last weekend. Did you have a good time? I did, I did, and I, and I could only imagine, what was going through your mind, like after we recorded a couple of weeks ago, and this sh- it went out on the show, and then the voting started, and then you know it ended, what's been going through your mind since then? Well, I was hoping that my friends were not tired of me, <laughs> of, you know, asking, oh, come on, please vote for me again, you know, but everybody was really nice, you know, I, and I even got some emails today, you know, did you find out, did you find out, and, uh, you know, I just kept telling, you know, be patient. I know. I see how it works. You just got to wait a minute, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's uh, I, it's just been incredible. You know, it was so much fun talking to you on the show. And then it was like, you know, and then I was talking to my kids. And they're like, you know, are we going to go to Disney? I was like, well, whether I win or not, we're going to go to Disney. It just all depends on what kind of, you know, trip we're going to take. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, you know, and the, and my thought was, you know, if I were to win, it's a trip that we would never be able to take. You know, it's just, we'd never be able to afford a deluxe resort, or at least, you know, to spend that much money on it. It's, you know, there's so many other priorities in our life. So for us, this is going to be a huge treat. And then I'm going to be totally spoiled, and I'm insisting on, you know, I'll be a deluxe snob for the rest of my life. <laughs> my husband will curse you forever. But, um, Oh, it's just incredible. Great. I'm so, so I, excited. I assume that you've decided to take your husband and two kids and, and none of your girlfriends or, or other friends have uh, convinced you to take them instead? Oh, I've had lots of people saying, even some of my kids at school, I, I told them today, you know, after one of my classes, I said, so I might find out today about this contest and such and such. And they're like, how many people can go on the trip? <laughs> well, if you fit in my luggage, you can certainly come. But uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, most of them are a little too big for carry-ons, especially nowadays. Good. So, Good. Yeah. Oh, this is oh, this is so cool. Good. Oh, I'm happy. I'm happy for you and your family. And and this, I think, really is even more so the beginning of the exciting time because it's the anticipation and it's the planning and everything that's going to go into it. And especially for your kids now that they know that you're going to be able to go, um, it, it should be exciting. Oh my God. Yeah, especially since, you know, I told them, you know, if we won, we would be able to go to the castle and have uh, lunch with Cinderella because it's another thing. We've never, you know, we wouldn't spend the money on it. But now it's like we can actually do that. And now I can get my Excel spreadsheets out and start planning. (laughs) I'm that kind of planner, so. Well, good. I can't wait. And don't forget, too, as part of the whole package, you're also going to get that custom pre-arrival planning with the mouse fan travel people so you'll be able to get in contact with them they'll help you plan every aspect of the trip and just to you know refresh your memory you're getting the six days you're getting the five nights like you said at a deluxe walt disney world resort hotel concierge access magic your way park hopper passes the dining plan the thousand dollar american express gift card that you can use for travel souvenirs whatever you like round-trip transportation, the iPod, the digital camera. Again, I know you were playing for the Disney World Trivia gift package, and I promise you uh, there will be (laughs) lots of surprises. We're going to have dinner together one night while you're down there. So uh, I I think this is truly going to be one of those, not just an an ultimate adventure for you and your family, but something hopefully that you'll be able to create some memories that are going to last a lifetime. Oh, this will be memorable. Absolutely. Holy cow. <laughs> I still, I'm sitting here. I just can't believe it. It's really funny. Go ahead. Let it sink in. <laughs> and I have to go and, and sing for an hour and a half and not think about this. So. 
Well, okay. While you're letting it sink in, I want to say thanks and a big special thanks to our sponsors. Again, Mouse Fan Travel, All-Star Vacation Homes, Steve Barrett from HiddenMickey'sGuide.com. Please go out, visit, and support our sponsors because without them, this contest would not have been possible, of course. I want to thank everybody for listening, everybody who played and voted. Big congratulations also go out to Jeff DeBoer and Ashley Fisher. They are also winners. They're going to get a package that's also going to include a four-night stay at an all-star vacation home, two four-day park hopper passes, an iPod Nano, the Disney gift card, the gift pack, so much more. Again, congratulations to you, Kathy. You are the ultimate adventurer. You are the winner of the first WDW radio show, Adventureland Challenge Contest. Thank you so much. This has been an awesome, awesome contest. I hope you do it again. Great. Well, I look forward to meeting you and your family down at Walt Disney World. Awesome. All right. How cool. All right. Great. Congratulations again. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. You're welcome. That's all the time we have this week. I hope you enjoyed the show. This week, I know, was just a little bit different than what you normally get on each episode of the show, but I hope you enjoyed it nonetheless. Big special thanks to all of my guests and everybody that I met down in Walt Disney World this past week. Old friends and new, all of you, made my experience truly memorable, and it's always great to meet new people in the parks. Big thanks also to Steve Schussler, the creator of the new T-Rex Cafe in downtown Disney. Look for that to open October 14th, and for more information, you can visit trexcafe.com. Congratulations go out to Kathy Adams, our Adventureland Challenge Contest winner, as well as Jeff DeBoer and Ashley Fisher, the finalists for the contest, and everybody who played and voted. I really do appreciate everybody playing. I hope you guys had as much fun with the contest as I did. I know a lot of you have emailed me already asking me what's next, but first thing first, next on my plate is Celebrations Magazine. It is just about ready to go to press I appreciate everybody's patience. We are just putting the finishing touches on it. We want to make it just right, especially for this first issue. For more information, to subscribe. Again, you can still take advantage of the pre-publication offer. Save 30% off the cover price. Six issues, $24.99. Go to celebrationspress.com. There you'll find out more about the magazine. It is a collaborative effort between Tim Foster from Guide to the Magic and myself, as well as articles from many of the people and the names that you know from the Disney community, both online, authors, and so much more. Again, our first issue is just about ready to roll off the presses. Again, for more information, celebrationspress.com. And speaking of the magazine, we want you to be a part of it. We want you to submit your photos for inclusion in the magazines. If you have a question, a comment, something you want to see answered in the magazine, you can email that to me at lou at wdwradio.com. Send a letter to the editor. Anything at all you like, go ahead and send that over. And if you have a suggestion for something that you'd like to see covered in the magazine, go ahead and email me that as well. And as quickly as WDW Celebrations Worldwide Weekend and the Everest Challenge is over, we're already looking ahead to our next event. That's going to be Mouse Fest. That's coming up in December. That is the biggest gathering of Disney fans from across the world. You can visit mousefest.org for more information. You can also find out about registering. Meets are being posted all the time. You can also subscribe to the free MouseFest newsletter. I will be hosting a number of meets again this year. Look for that announcement to come on the show soon. And speaking of the show, I have lots of great things planned for upcoming episodes. I have more of your emails to get to. I know. I am sorry. I have not gotten to them again this week. I have more special guests 
We're going to take a trip aboard the Wayback Machine, more trivia, and of course, a few surprises thrown in here and there as well. If you have a question you want answered via email, again, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com, or you can call the voicemail. Be on the air. I'll play those on the show. Call 206-202-4WDW. That's 206 202 4939. You can call with questions, comments, suggestions, reviews from the park, anything at all that you like. And again, if you want to comment on the show, talk about episodes with other listeners, visit the WDW Radio Show forums over at DisneyWorldTrivia.com. Also, you can come over to Facebook. I have a Facebook page. You'll find a link in this week's show notes at WDWRadio.com. You can follow my updates on Twitter. This past week from the parks, I was not only updating you as to where I was and what I was doing, but we played a game that a lot of you seem to enjoy, which is sort of a where in the world is Lou. I would take a picture from the parks, ask you guys to identify it. So that was a lot of fun. Thanks to everybody that played. I hope you guys enjoyed that. As always, if you like the show, all I ask is that you please let others know about it. Please help spread the word. Review us on iTunes. And of course, thank you for coming back and taking the time to listen to the show. Have a great week. So until next time, see ya. Hey, Lou, this is Tim Stenzel from Marion, New York again. I just wanted to chime in on this week's discussion that you were having about uh, the different reactions, the different things that you do when you're at Disney uh, that you would never normally do elsewhere. And if you do them elsewhere, you get these funny looks. Uh, Anyways, when I was at Disneyland uh, back at the beginning of August out in California, uh, just walking around Walt's Park, uh, just kind of checking things out, I started noticing that I would bend over to pick up garbage and just to throw it away, uh, just because it was almost like a feeling like that was my own park, and Walt, Walt built that for me and my family, and I wanted to keep it clean. And it was kind of, uh, I've read a few books on Walt, how he used to do that, where he'd, you know, he'd see something wrong and have it fixed right away, or he'd uh, bend over to pick over the, pick up the garbage, and here's the guy that owns the company picking up the garbage, and I said, well, I guess I can do the same thing, too. Um, so I just thought that was kind of interesting. You know, it was like it was on my own park. Uh, another thing, too, is I want to chime into a discussion that you had a few episodes ago about the different smells. And while I was at Disneyland, I, I thought you might be interested to know that uh, I thought of you. I was on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, and I got that smell of the water, that musty smell. And first thing, I, I started laughing, and my wife said, what's wrong? And I says, Lou would be proud. <laughs> she goes, who? I said, Lou Mangello. And she says, Oh, and I explained it to her later on, and she still didn't get it. But anyways, I, I kind of thought of you as I was going through the ride, going, yep, that definitely got that musty smell. But anyways, I just wanted to chime in on that. Uh, see you later. Keep up the great work on the podcast. Really enjoy it. Thanks. Bye. Hey, Lou, this is Bronson Grooms from Lebanon, Indiana. I was just listening to the Jungle Cruise DSI Enhanced, and I'm looking at the board, the missing persons board that says, I'll be late. And Eaton. That's the one that says missing person, missing persons, and missing boats. Anyhow, as I was listening to you and I believe it was Tim talking about this uh, board in the queue for the Jungle Jungle Cruise, Jungle Cruise DSI, I noticed something under the missing persons uh, list. It's actually a sentence. It says, "I'll be late. Be in Eaton. I'm a boiling. See, I'm cooking. I leaned over and fell in." See them yet? I'll bet not. Bet you don't. Anyhow, I noticed that. I was just kind of wondering if you did too. Have a great day. 
Hey, Lou, it's Eric from uh, Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, WDW Traveler 46 on the boards. Uh, just calling to thank you for uh, answering my question back in June about, uh, you know, you guys' favorite dining uh, locations, and uh, you guys hit it right on the spot. Uh, everything has been just absolutely excellent, and, uh, I mean, we, well, today is Friday, and we're uh, heading to uh, Epcot, and uh, we're kind of winding down our our best vacation. So um, just to give you guys an idea, uh, the wait times for right now, you know, the past week have been uh, between five minutes, and I think the most we ever waited was a half an hour, or we used FastPass. So. Um, but I just wanted to thank you again. You're doing a great job. Keep it up, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll – and talk to you again. Bye-bye.